When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Blues Traveler performs live at Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in West Virginia on Friday, October 7th. I spoke to bass player Tad Kinchla, whose brother Chan Kinchla formed the group with his high school classmates for hits like Hook and Runaround. Hey, Tad, hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Good to be on. Now we're talking with Tad Kinchla of Blues Traveler uh, because the, the band, the awesome band's coming to Hollywood Casino, Charlestown Races, West Virginia on Friday, October 7th. Uh, gosh, uh, the band's been rocking and rolling for what? Like um, about 30 years, 13 studio it's albums, there. all kinds of stuff. So you have a ton to choose from. So how do you guys, do you, do you, uh, is it like the greatest hits? Do you mix in new stuff or like what do we see set list wise? You know, that's always kind of a, it, it, it obviously gets harder as we get older and make more music. Um, but we, we try to hit on like kind of everything from, you know, all from the very beginning to uh, kind of our most recent, which was a blues album. So it's, um, which was kind of, you know, funny to be a band called Blues Traveler with a harmonica player and not really be a blues band. You know, we're more of a rock band, but we did a blues album and actually got nominated for a Grammy. So it was kind of cool to, to say, yeah, yeah, we're a blues band. Finally <laughs> earned so, the title. You don't have to go by Rock Traveler anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bunch of white guys from Princeton anymore, maybe. <laughs> you earned the blues cred, finally, after all this. Well, you mentioned, bit, you mentioned a bunch of guys from Princeton, uh, New Jersey. Um, so because obviously that, you know, the band uh, was founded there in what, in 87. And I can't remind our listeners sort of those origins. Wasn't it? Um, obviously, it was, it was your brother and John Popper and the guy like it was a high school group, like a garage band in high school, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a basement, you know, and not the garage, but it was in Brendan's basement because uh, he, he was the drummer and you always go to the drummer's place because uh they don't have to move their drums <laughs> and this uh is brendan hill yeah they started it yeah brendan hill um and uh bobby sheen was the original bass player and they were all uh classmates at princeton high school um and that's where they started and then um obviously um i joined in two about two, about 2000 let's just say um but yeah it was a you know a basement uh band that has uh, kind of gone on to you know be able to play for a living Nice. Now is, is, is Chan, uh, is he your older brother? He is. Okay, cool. So what was it like, you know, having him as an older brother? What did you hear about the, them forming this band or could you hear them playing whenever they were over by your house or, oh, I wanted yeah. to like, you know, a little, little brother tagging along kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So I'm, I'm, a, you know, a bit younger than them. Uh, Chan's about four years older and then the John's about six and Ben, the, you know, yeah. So, so I, I kind of missed, them in high school i was like in eighth grade so i would have i went over to high school after they had moved on to the city 
but um, I certainly, you know, as of sixth grade, I remember um, Bobby borrowing, <laughs> borrowing my amp and then, you know, they'd, they'd rehearse or do whatever and get, you know, some party gig or something and come back and the amp would be just like totally fried. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, and, and that happened multiple times because I was playing too, but I, my brother got a guitar for Christmas and I was like, hey, I want an instrument. And my dad didn't know what to do. So he went to the music store and got me a bass. But it was funny. It was an electric bass with no amp. So for about a year, I just would like clack around trying to make noise on a bass with no amplifier. And then finally um, started. I played upright in the, you know, in the classical and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I knew these guys, you know, right when they started, went to their you know, first five or six gigs, which were, you know, maybe a church maybe a Princeton University free concert. Um, you know, there were, I don't think they were paying gigs really until uh, a little bit into the history, you know, right. it worked. Right, right, exactly. And a lot of our listeners might not know. In fact, I I had forgotten this too. Um, and again, I know it was before you were there, but wasn't wasn't there some sort of connection but with uh, the formation of the Spin Doctors too? Like Chris uh, went to, um, Chris Barron, the singer from Spin Doctors, went to Princeton High School. So we were all friends in in high school um and uh he was in the band as well and and you know did singing and stuff he moved at about the same time to new york to try to pursue music so he started and he used to open up and do acoustic stuff for blues traveler but then met his boys and they started opening up some gigs for blues traveler but you know got their own legs and clearly you know from wrote their own story from there on but yeah, I mean, like lightning struck twice at our high school during that period. How crazy that, yeah, those two yeah. of those, you know, the bigger bands of the whole, what would be the 90s uh, era came from the same yeah. high school hallways. That's so crazy. To me. Yeah, it is. It is pretty weird. And then something and in then the water that, fountains in that hallway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And then uh, Trey actually went to school in Princeton too. Trey Anastasio from Fish, he went to PDS, which was you know, the private school across the other side of town. So, you know, and that was a couple years before uh, Blues Traveler. So it's, you know, it's, it was kind of an interesting time there. Yeah. Across the street, maybe, maybe the same water system. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the same water. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, do you know um, uh, how they actually got signed for that, you know, self-titled debut? It was A&M records. What, how, how did that actually come about? Have you heard that story down, passed down? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually I do. Um, because, you know, I mean, I know all the, you know, intimate details of like, because, you know, we we're excited. It was, a, it was, it was a bold move for the band to kind of go from high school to New York City to play, pursue music. Like, you know, we come from a town that's, you know, kind of a, you know, educational town, Princeton University, blah, 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 you know, expectations are you go to college. When all four of them, they did, they did some music school, to be honest, but it was not in pursuing a full college degree. So it was, it was a bold move. Um, going to New York. So I knew, I knew all the kind of integral details. And I used to get on a train and go in on Wednesdays to wetlands and see their whole thing. Um, So the the way the the, the signing happened is they used to play, you know, frat parties at Columbia while they're in New York, wherever they can get gigs. Um, Dave Graham, Bill Graham's son, Bill Graham, the legendary promoter from out West uh, went to Columbia. He, he started going to see the band, the band play some other gigs and was like, told his dad was like you got to check these guys out um bill graham came through i think for a allman brothers tour that he had booked or whatever and was like went down to a show was like i like these dudes and put them on 
opening up for the almonds, you know, and this is coming from doing like gigs at like in New York to like an opening slot on an Allman Brothers gig. And then that kind of, I think there was enough word with the tape and let's travel around New York that um, some A&M reps ended up going out and seeing those. And uh, then they got signed from there, but it was really Bill Graham who got credit, you know, should be credited with helping find the band, you know. That's really, really cool. Yeah. And that first one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's right time, right place. You know, like, you know, what are the odds of Dave Graham going to Columbia being boys with, you know, a bunch of friends that ended up going to the show and, you know, it's always right time, right place. That's always the story. And that's what you just got to get out there. Keep keep putting your music out. Um, It is. See what hits. Yeah. And there's so many great musicians that we tour with or open for us or blah, blah, blah. And that that it's you know it is i mean like if if everyone who's deserving got signed there'd be tons of music out there it's just you know it's good luck and good karma and can just be good to people you know <laughs> absolutely absolutely so um obviously i guess but anyway was was on that first um album and it was like re-released later or whatever but um they, they did a couple more albums travelers and thieves save his soul but i guess the fourth one aptly titled four was the one that really blew up and went mainstream with radio hits and stuff tell me um about run around everyone's gonna remember that one um uh, i guess it won the first grammy for for the group it did it did yeah it was and and it has some record for being like in the top 10 spot or number one it still holds the record somewhere in the radio history for you know being up there so oh that's um, great do you know any do yeah. you know, again this is before you joined but do you uh know any good stories uh, that they that maybe at least your brother or john or the guys have have talked about you know writing that one recording that one yeah i mean you know uh, well one thing is they didn't think when they were recording it up at bearsville studio up in the woodstock uh area um they um they didn't think runaround was going to be the single you know they were i think i, I forget what it was but it, it was just uh um you know, uh, one of the songs on the album. It, for by no means was it, you know, a, a lead single candidate. And I think the producers were like, no, no, this is good. And they're like, it's four chords, you know, like it's, it's the same song, you know. And, um, you know, that, that I thought that was really interesting that, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't an effort, conscious effort to make singles, I think, by the band right. um, as far as, uh, you know, so that was kind of interesting. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I just thought I remember growing up in here and then just thinking it was cool hearing so much harmonica on the radio for a change. I was like, this is cool. Um, and, you know, in a mainstream song. Um, and yeah, right. uh, and didn't the video, if I'm remembering, wasn't it like a Wizard of Oz vibe to the video? Yeah. Right. And that was um, and I think that w- one of the actors, too, kind of had a, a look like he was the, you know, the, the Counting Crows singer. He kind of, you know. But that was totally coincidental. But I remember he got a little upset about it because he kind of looked a little too much like him. Did he think, did he think you were spoofing bit. him or something? Or? Yeah, I think so. I think there was a little bit of a like, hey, what? Are, you know, uh, the first time that we kind of crossed paths with them. So, but it's all good. <laughs> they smoothed, uh, it, smoothed it over. <laughs> they smoothed it. There's all sorts of, you know, dumb stuff that, you know. Sure. <laughs> that that's gets said and then get misconstrued and you know and John's a very open and honest person sometimes a little too honest yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get read right so but uh yeah that that okay. getting back to your question yeah it was um it was a Wizard of Oz thing thing yeah and yeah. I think that was a com- combo it wasn't like one person's concept it was you know just getting money to do a video it's like sweet 
we'll do whatever you want. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And I think it, you know, it, it's a, I mean, it was a gem, man. It's a, we can all, we can all still sing it. I think it was like in VH, VH1's top songs of the nineties or whatever. It was a great one. But then the other one on the same album was, was hook. Um, you know, yeah. and, and because the hook brings you back, um, talk yeah. about, I, I, I always thought was, are you, was it, were they going for like a, a double meaning? Obviously. I mean, it, it, it's the hook of the song and the title's the hook. I mean, <laughs> I thought yes. that was kind of cool. Yeah. No, that's the, that's the double entendre and, you know, kind of, and the reference to Apocalypse Canon, like clearly a very recognizable, you know, melodic phrase. And it's again, like Runaround, oddly enough, I think the nineties was pretty big on like repetitive chords, you know, like choruses <laughs> that are the same chords as the verses, you know, it seems if you listen back, you're like, ah, you know, not, I mean, there's formulas to pop, I think that still exists, but, but uh, especially back then, and it, it's really nice listening to 90s music because it was like real people playing the instruments. Man, you know? I'm, I'm, I miss it. And, I, and you don't want to sound like old fuddy daddy because I obviously, you know, I cover this stuff. I know all the new music too, but I just, I miss the, my wife and I talk about it all the time. We, we, I miss the, the sound of people actually playing. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's, and it's those intricacies. It's like, you know, I, 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 a weird story. It's like I played for my son who's nine. I have, I have twins and they're nine. Oh, no way. Like, I'm a wow, twin that, myself. Is that right? Yeah, Fantastic. twins are awesome. Go twins. <laughs> twins, uh, yeah, go twins. I'm a big fan. Um, well, I played them some, like my my son's, you know, kind of oddly gifted with rhythms. Um, and I played him some Zeppelin, which he really far back would rock out to. Really loved the drums, but yeah. said something when he was like six, which was like, something's, he, he like held his hand up and was like, something's weird. And even at six and seven, he knew that the rhythm fluctuated in the song, within the song, which is part of like the whole magic of all, all the old recordings. Yeah. The drummer wasn't locked in in a grid, but we're so accustomed to doing it now and listening on the radio that, yeah. it, you know, people hear when a tempo fluctuates. And it was so funny. He said that. And, and I'm like, triggered yeah, him. he noticed it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, because Jimmy Page is like ripping it. And, and, and like Bonham is <laughs> literally Bonham's ripping it in up. the moment. Yeah, You're hearing you know? the live yeah. slight fluctuation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is it. interesting because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, it, the thing is, though, it's like once you add the element of like the software and once you gr get something on a grid, you can go back and edit whatever you need when it's quantized. You know, and I do get that that allows you to do so much more versus trying to fit in a part over a part that's not, you know, synced up. And then you have bleed through because it's quicker. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of practical there's reasons that, yeah, yeah, exactly. But some of these bands have enough money that they could just, like, why don't you just play it live and see how it comes out? You know, like you, you have the two inch tape and the money to do more. <laughs> I'm with you, man. Um, didn't after that, I'm a big movie guy too. So I'm pretty sure didn't, didn't the blues traveler get um, brought, they brought back, but anyway, for the Fairley brothers for, uh, for the Kingpin soundtrack. They did. Yeah. And they were in the movie as well as on the farm, the Amish farm at the end, after the, the bowling competition, they go back with Randy Quaid, who's, who's you know, quite a trip himself, but, uh, um, uh, and they're they're on a, a wagon playing, uh, but anyway, and it oh yeah, they're in. They're dressed as Amish, right? Yeah, 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 with beards and stuff, and right. so 
Yeah, that was pretty good. What a great movie. We, I, I, we had a tech that didn't know that and, and we're watching it and he, he, at the end, he looked, he was like, wait a second. <laughs> and then <laughs> we watched the whole movie the other night. It was pretty good. Oh, that, I was just talking about it the other day with somebody and my favorite line, you're talking about, you know, when they go to the Amish country and my favorite, it was with yeah. Woody Harrelson. My favorite line is, is when they go, oh, I got up early and, you know, I milked the cow for you. And he's like, we have a bull. And he goes, I'm going to brush my teeth. <laughs> Yeah, and there are some gems in that. There are some <laughs> scenarios, and but uh, oh, also John was in it. Uh, he was the, the announcer at the um, bowling, at the finals, and he has Bill this Murray, horrible yeah. comb over. Yeah, he has a horrible comb over, just like Bill Murray, and it's it. They really, you know, it. That's Bill Murray is so good in that. That's a, <laughs> such, a, such a classic. Oh, it really is. Roy Munson and Ern, what's he? Big Earn yeah. uh, McCracken. Yeah, um, Big Earn, that's right. A lot McCracken. of I, I, there you go. Let's I'm glad we had a second to hold up Kingpin because everyone talks rightfully so talks about dumb and dumber and there's something about Mary for the Fairlies, but Kingpin was wed right in between those two. And uh I think so. Yeah, and it might it might hold up as my you know, my kind of might be my favorite, you know. I mean they, 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 they did they they nailed all of them, so it was all good. <laughs> <laughs> so good well we'd be here all day if we talk about all, all the albums but is there is there any um gosh this is gonna be a hard question i guess but like in the album since the the that big you know the big blow up on the radio moment yeah that we just talked, yeah is there any ones that you're you know since you joined the band that you're particularly proud of that you could maybe if our listeners are like i want to know some deep cuts is there a, a, a album yeah. that, that you think particularly you're proud of yeah um there was an album we did called bastardos <laughs> um bastardos and it's kind of a trippy album and we don't play many of the songs live because there was a lot of track and layering um and we did it with jay bennett who was um the producer and jay was part of wilco and mm -hmm. had had gone off he is no longer with us he had passed away sadly but with, this is extremely bright and creative producer so he produced the album and we we're up in Austin and it got there's some really trippy parts and some of the songs are kind of like very idiosyncratic and and I I it's almost like I like I'll listen back and I'm like oh my god I forgot we did this you know these songs so I would you know if they're looking for some deep cuts best startups is a good one. Oh, cool and that was in what like 2005 is that right I think yeah something like that yeah right. ish yeah ish, I, yeah I might yeah I'll give it two years either side at this point nice and then just remind us you joined on with the band was it when when the original bassist bobby, right. when he when he passed away yeah bobby she passed away yeah and then uh the band took a little hiatus decided to keep playing and then they i tried out for the band in 99 and joined in 2000 awesome well it's really cool to, to see it going strong i mean it, well stronger than ever really because like you just mentioned the the traditional blues album uh grammy nomination just this past just yeah. this year so um yeah and also that we had, you know, yeah and we had a really fun tour with train and jewel this summer it was actually really great to get out and play some you know big sheds and so yeah this year's been phenomenal we've been really cranking um and really enjoying playing as always but you know kind of things got shaken up there for a while with, with quarantine and everything Oh yeah, it's got. After all that, it's got to be great to be back and playing for live audiences again, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you, you, you joining us. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there yeah. anything else? Uh, real quick, I think I think my listeners will appreciate this. Will be a good soundbite. Um, before we go, like, um, 
Talk about John Popper's um, harmonica skills. Like, do you? Uh, how how does he how does he play that thing so furiously? Like, I always yeah, wanted, I, know, I like like get hypnotized watching a really good harmonica player. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's weird because you can't really see like other instruments. You know, piano you see the notes being hit, or guitar you see like you know you impress people by we're a little yeah good harmonica it's all happening in here and especially right. with him he's got his whole rig where he has the the leslie speed on it there are buttons buttons switch amps it's you know he's got his whole thing but you can't see it happening and it do, it almost looks like you could fake it if you're just like <laughs> right. um but he was you know Jimi hendrix he loved Jimi hendrix and um saw the blues brothers you know and so it was like wait i can maybe i could try this on you know i had a harmonica yeah. and got it and started doing that and that's where he kind of got into doing harmonica and um yeah it's just uh it's it's a it's a tough thing to you know be able to, to you know he says this all the time to suck and blow there's your next album title yeah well, he's been trying for years to get that going. So don't advocate that. We, I don't. You know what? Who knows? Who knows? We we're doing an album this February, so it it's very. You know, I'm sure that'll be on the idea board. That may, that's probably better for the next Fairly Brothers soundtrack. I th I think so. We got to get in touch with them, or just a movie in general. That you know, it could work. There you go. Well, yeah. Let, let that the, the seed of the idea. Let let that grow. Well, you, you we can ask you about it another time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. But first, don't miss Blues Traveler at um, Hollywood Casino, Charlestown Races in West Virginia. It's Friday, October 7th, uh, so get your tickets now. Uh, Tad, thanks so much for, for joining us again. This was so much fun. Yeah, man, it's good to talk to you, for sure. All right, we'll catch you later. Yeah, be good. I also spoke to Tad a previous time when Blues Traveler played the Fillmore in Silver Spring, Maryland, back in 2015. What's up, Jason? Hey, how's it going, Tad? Thanks so much for joining us on uh, T.O.P. Yeah, good to be on. <laughs> Now, have you guys ever played the Fillmore before? Uh, I think we might have played like three or four years ago. Okay. But I'm not sure. Sometimes it gets a little foggy uh, <laughs> the venues in the plane. Uh, and there are actually other Fillmores around. Obviously, uh, San Francisco being the you know, most notable one. <laughs> Absolutely. And you've been with the band. Uh, you replaced the, the original bassist, right, Bobby, after he passed away? <laughs> Bobby Sheen, yeah, correct. But your brother was with the with the group before, right? A guitarist? Yeah, that's correct, correct. I, I, I kind of like grew up vicariously with them. Uh, I'm a little younger, and uh, those guys were a high school band, so I was about the full, you know, four years. So I was in kind of eighth grade when those guys were graduating. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so I kind of saw the trials and tribulations of the band as they kind of grew and, and kind of, you know, became uh, a more popular band and, you know, kind of it's, it's all kind of beginnings to, you know, playing uh, these really crappy clubs to <laughs> better <laughs> crappy clubs to, uh, you know, kind of strike a lightning. And then all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's kind of big amphitheaters and big tours and all that. Yeah. What you mentioned there was a high school band. Where was this? Was this in New Jersey? Yeah, in Princeton, New Jersey. We all grew up there and went to Princeton High School uh, School there. Gotcha. But so you were just kind of observing uh, bro there for a while. At, yeah. Uh, Okay, cool. And then, uh, well, yeah, well, I mean, we both got into music early. I got a bass because my brother got a guitar, and my parents were like, oh, we got to hear something. And, <laughs> you know, and I actually, it was funny. I got a bass, you know, with no amp or anything. So I was just kind of playing an electric bass with <laughs> no amp. And I actually got into music 
I think even a little before my brother, um, and uh, like singing choirs and stuff like that. So um, I picked up uh, classical bass when I was like in fifth grade and played that, you know, um, through high school. Um, and then went to college and actually started, I was in my own band there, and then we actually moved to New York and were playing there for several years. So, you know, I was just kind of at the verge of kind of shifting some, all right, you know, play music and, you know, kind of the two of us have done this and was going to shift out. And then, you know, the whole, all the stuff went down with Bobby passing away. And, uh, you know, I just happened to still be playing and, uh, they held auditions. Um, and there's like four or five different guys. And, you know, I, I'd actually never played with them before, you know, jammed or whatever, but never played with blues travelers before until the audition. So, uh, just one of those things, you know, kind of, it felt right. And I'd been in the family, you know, and we all knew each other well, and, you know, I knew Bobby very well. And, you know, I kind of put it to him this way, like, I'm not going to replace the kind of playing that Bobby did. Like, that's just not my style. And, uh, you know, if you want to do that, get a guy that does that well. But, uh, right. and they all agreed They're like, no, we're just, we're kind of moving forward. Obviously we can't recreate that, you know, foursome that they had. And, uh, and the fit was, was good and then kind of picked up from there and, you know, kind of have been doing it ever since. Definitely. You brought, brought a little of your, yourself to it then, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just like, I just play different, you know? So, yeah. um, and, you know, luckily enough, Brendan and I, you know, kind of really hit it off playing as far as a rhythm section. And, uh, obviously, you know, 15 years later, we're, we're pretty, you know, we know each other pretty well. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, it really kind of. Obviously, John and, and Chan have leads and stuff like that, but, you know, as far as, you know, the band goes, you really need to have a, a rhythm section type before you could, you know, get all the other stuff put in place. Exactly. Well, you mentioned that, that uh, you know, obviously you, you didn't officially join the band until, what was it, like 99 or something, right? But uh, you mentioned before that that you, yeah, you, you've done some jam sessions with them informally. Um, take me behind the scenes and what that was like. So, you know, you're, you're with Chan, your brother, and on guitar. Is John Popper there on the, on the harmonica? And you guys are all just jamming out before you even knew you were going to be a part of the band? Uh, yeah, but like several years different. And also it was like we played a lot of the same clubs that Blues Traveler did when we moved to New York. Our, my, my old band, Dowdy Smack, was a three-piece. And we were doing really well, starting to pick up kind of like a Chili Peppers type of band, just a three-piece kind of funk band. Um, not funk, but, you know, in that genre. Um, as, as much as three white guys can be funk. Um, and, uh, you know, we play gigs a lot of the same places, so, you know, Chan would come down or John would come down and sit in and stuff like that. So, you know, it was, it was kind of the cool thing. It was like us playing our songs with them playing on top of it. <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. Well, what was it? I mean, obviously you weren't in the band when when Blues Traveler really blew up around, like, 94, I think. But you've played the songs enough to, to you know, now it's basically, you, you know, you're part of the deal now. Um, is it wild to see people nowadays still freaking out when you first play Hook or Run Around? You know, is it, is it wild to you that, that those songs are, you know, still as popular as they are? Yeah. Yes. And no. You know, because like there, you know, there's certain songs that you know we're we're lucky enough to have a fan base that has stayed with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I mean, all, it seems like all, almost all except for Fish and and even Widespread, I'd say, of that like kind of those jam bands playing right. around then had you know songs that kind of hit and got popular and mainstream. Right. 
and it didn't change the band. Like Dave Matthews didn't change as a band just because he got some, you know, right. main, mainstream popularity. And the, you know, Blues Traveler was the same. It didn't change. You know, it's just kind of fortuitous and lucky for all these bands to have like you know, uh, uh, you know, a song that was you know kind of very open and accessible to people. Um, and I think you know, it's just the, those songs are kind of like I said, very accessible. And, you know, there's a new couple generations of kids, you know, that coming through different, you know, uh, you know, kind of, there's a, a, like a kind of a pendulum that swings to like rock, you know, to folk, to disco, to back to folk, to rock, you know, and it's like every 10 years or so, it seems to <laughs> go in a different direction. Um, you know, and right now it's like a lot of Americana and very acoustic type stuff and which is great. But, uh, you know, a good song kind of transcends that, it stays through it. And, and uh, you know, I think those songs are, are solid. And so when we're playing it now, it's it's not like the same people that first heard it that are listening. It's, you know, newer audiences and people that might not have no Blues Traveler. And it's it's actually really cool because, uh, you know, they, they actually pop live as well. So, it, you know, it's just lucky that, you know, we have some uh, stuff in our repertoire that, you know, can kind of we can play the dollars that, you know, kind of, People are like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, tell us a little bit about the new album. Let's say some of our listeners on here, you know, haven't haven't heard your your newest stuff. Uh, tell me about "Blow Up the Moon." Don't you have you have some guest collaborators on there, right? Yeah, that's actually the entire album is is collaborations, and it was oh, really cool. cool. It's a really fun process. Like all the songs are done in collaboration with other artists. Um, who are some? Who are some of them? And it's uh, well. We did um, a bunch with, uh, we did some with Dirty Heads, mm-hmm. um, 303 was another one, we did some stuff with Jewel, Thompson Square, yeah. um, I, Plain White Tees, I mean, we were really all over the map, um, and uh, it was it was a really cool process, actually, we really uh, learned a lot, and also just realized that it's, you know, if, it's just fun making music with different musicians, you know, and we all got along well, and we're fortunate enough to have everything kind of work out. Um, and then came up with, like, you know, genre-wise, there's, like, you know, five or six different <laughs> styles on there. Yeah. That are, it's really cool. Um, it's all over the map. And, uh, you know, I think, yeah, it really is. I mean, we put, you know, about, like, a country ballad, and then we did stuff with 303 that's kind of programmed with, you yeah. know, stems and overdubbing and stuff and then the the dirty heads kind of kind of a reggae rap feel so it was it was awesome for us um and uh, we've collaborated and played live a couple of those with uh with those guys since um including at red rocks we had uh rome from sublime who sings with sublime now and uh jc chazé who was um uh the uh, um sync and she he happened to be producing stuff and came through and kind of worked on one of the things. So he actually came out and sang with us. So it was actually as eclectic as it gets. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and then is. we did stuff with Hanson. And we actually did it with Hanson, and Hanson was out for that, too. So we had, <laughs> you know, all four, <laughs> and, and 303. So yeah. it was a pretty uh, <laughs> pretty rocking time at the fourth. That's eclectic, man. How do you actually, you know, when, yeah, it is. how do you call those people up? And I mean, you, I mean, Blues Traveler has the name recognition. A lot of those artists kind of got big around the same time you guys did too. Um, exactly. So do they, the second they get a, you know, a shout from you guys saying, Hey, do you want to collaborate? Are they instantly, Oh, I remember those guys, you know, do they kind of have that nostalgia for it too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've been around, we've been playing the whole time and, you know, we've crossed paths before, but uh, yeah, we kind of, 
you know, we got the idea to do these collaborations because we'd been some stuff before, and we were like, let's do it. So we threw it out, and, and you know, and it was a relatively tight time frame. So there's a bunch of people that we wanted to do stuff, just couldn't do it touring wise, and uh, right. and then uh, you know, a bunch of people we were able to do um, and fit in because we had to kind of pop around you know, find times where all of us were available. Um, but we were really amazed at how many people were psyched to do stuff. And, you know, instantly we were like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's a testament to what the band has been able to kind of create over time as far as their fans and stuff. Yeah, 12 studio albums. That's uh, that's nothing to sneeze at right there. It's it's Talk about, I mean, what's been the secret to your guys' success in terms of just being able to keep it going? Um, there's been a lot of bands that, that blew up right around the same time that Blues Traveler did that have since broken up or, or, what or you know, faded or what have you. But how have you guys been able to keep sure. it going for 12 albums? That's incredible. Yeah, uh, you know, I think we all like to play. And, you know, we change our sets up all the time. Like, we have a constant rotation of who writes the set. And that's been going on since I joined and before that. You know, so it's a new new guy every night. And, uh, you know, there's a pretty good repertoire. So we can keep it fresh. And, uh, you know, we, we do, you know, we're, we're able to do impromptu changes. And, you know, so it's not like a set list that, you know, we, we get bored of. Um, obviously, you know, there are songs that we're going to play. Um, and, you know, any smart band would do that <laughs> uh you know you don't just say oh we're not gonna play our hit. well some bands do but then people leave i mean i i personally like don't like going to a show where they don't play the songs i like right. you know it's or, or just at least a couple of them <laughs> we enjoy playing you know i think that's almost the, the biggest uh thing that holds you together um and you gotta be able to tour you know and, and if, you, if you don't like touring you know pretty quick <laughs> definitely What's the thought behind that? Um, you mentioned that you, you, when you go to a show, you like to see them at least play the hits, as well as all the other new stuff. But you're, what's the thought behind? Uh, is it is it we want to give them what they paid for? They they probably bought a ticket to hear some of those songs as well as the new stuff. Well, no, it's I think it's just that recognition that you know seeing the a song that you like and have a place for and spend space and time in like your life and remind you of certain things. It's like seeing live. Uh, you know that song performed and the, the, the way it's you know kind of projected by the band is something that right. you know I think is important to, to you know to remember when you're when you're give, you know given the opportunity to play and people are paying to see you you know I think yeah. that those things are you know it, for us yeah we've played it thousands of times but you know it's it, it still is fun like you said I mean there's a reaction there's a visceral reaction when those songs start up. And, you know, and it does. It brings people to like a time and place if they were older or, you know, when they heard it or, you know, something that might evoke a certain, you know, kind of memory. And I think, you know, it's it's hard to have that open mind when you do it professionally and play every night. And it's, you know, but I think most performers will, you know, admit that, 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 that there's a certain, you know, kind of it's it, it there it, while you, you play it every night, it still is kind of new, you know, because it's a new crowd and a new bunch of people, you know. Right. So you never truly get tired of playing those. No. <laughs> not, I hear it in his really. voice. It, I hear it in his voice. Listen, I mean, it, it's like, you know, you, you're lucky enough to be able, be able to do this for a living and you're on right. stage performing. And most of the time it's, you know, 99% of the time it's a positive reaction. So, right. you know, being able to get on stage and play a song that people are happy to see, see you play is, you know, a gift. So <laughs> you don't get tired of that. <laughs> totally. And in terms of the new, the new album, um, when you're playing stuff, 
from that at the Fillmore. Are you, how do you pull that off? Because obviously all of your collaborators, you're not going to have Hanson and 303 and everyone touring with you probably. So, you know, um, how do you guys pull that off? Do you just play, you know, play it yourself and find a way to... Yeah, yeah, you know, we had to pare it down and then me and Ben sing like the harmonies and, you know, change things up and, you know, we change it up and Ben and I pick up the harmonies and we kind of, you know, adjust to uh, what the, um, you know, what the song, you know, entails. But, you know, clearly... Our, our Ben and our my, our renditions of harmonies are not, you know, are not the same quality as other professional singers. But we, you know, we do our best, and, and, and it's fun to see, you know, a, a pared down version. However, the three hundred three stuff, we had a bunch of stems and a bunch of like overdub stuff that was kind of atmospheric. And for the first time this year, we're actually toying with, um, you know, some backup tracks and playing along with those. And actually, that's really cool. I mean, it you know, because in the context of a show a lot of similar similar sounds and this allows us to kind of break out and kind of play more simple and allow some different you know atmospheric stuff and it's cool in the, in the context of a set to have different you know slow and fast songs and you know kind of broken down songs and you know so it, it it's actually been really quite fun definitely you mentioned a few seconds ago you mentioned uh, your red rock show I'm, i don't know if everyone knows this but i'm pretty sure with the exception of when um, when the bassist passed away, I think that was the one year you guys didn't play in the Red Rocks in Colorado on the 4th? Uh, I think we're up to like 22 years. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's quite a yeah. stretch. It is. We're the longest-running uh, um, you know, uh, yearly active at uh, Red Rocks. And, um, you know, it's great. We get placards every time you play. You get a little piece of the Red Rocks on a plaque <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> and I, you know, we have closets, and it's just like, I can make a table out of all, all the rocks I've been given, um, which I, I actually might at some point make something cool out of it. You should. Uh, did, did, have you thought about that before? Did that idea just slip out and now you say, oh, that sounds pretty good? No, actually, last <laughs> I, like this year, I was like, you know, I could probably pull the rocks off these placards and put, and put them onto like a, you know, make kind of a cool coffee table out of this thing. And uh, it actually would be pretty dope. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, I will set my mind in motion and see maybe I'll borrow some from some of the other guys and make a really big deal. <laughs> I think you should start building it while we're still doing this interview. I think that would be uh, it would give it a, an immediacy. Yeah. I can you know? see how big I can get it. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's our, I think our yearly, our favorite venue to play and we always, you know, it's been just so good to us and they've been so good to us and it's in like the best venue in the country, you know, so we've locked out like we have a yearly gig, you know, one of our biggest shows is at like the coolest place in the country on like a great day. So, you know, that's pretty fortunate. Yeah. Keep, I mean, Hey, keep that one going as long as you can. Yeah, I know. And if you look at, yeah, over the years too, if you look at the list of bands we've played with, you know, it's probably at this point, like 80 or 90 bands. It's like eclectic and it's been cool. Like, I think we, we did, we did one with uh, Ziggy Marley. Um, and he came on and, and sang no woman, no cry with us. And it was like, that's that was just, you know, sold out show. Pack, he came out and he sings, sounds just like his pop. And it's just like, it, it gives you shivers. That was like an intense moment. It was really cool. That's got, that's got to be surreal. And didn't the, didn't that whole tradition start with, uh, weren't you with playing for uh, opening for Allman Brothers? The band, yeah. The band got its break um, with the Allman Brothers opening up, you know, years back. And that was kind of their first uh, push into uh, kind of getting into 
jam band scene and all that. What do you think it is that that makes people keep coming out to your shows? Um, is it the uniqueness of your sound? Is it there's not many bands that can do the harmonica like you? You know, you don't hear that with many many bands today. I mean, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I it? think I think it's a combo. I mean, we really play tight as a band. You know, we get that a lot from other musicians. Like you know, they're like, wow, you know, it's, it's a cool experience to see a band all keyed in together playing. Um, you know, obviously John's a you know, virtuoso on his instrument, so that's another thing that sets us apart. And and there is kind of like it's just hard to have your own sound as a band. There's a lot of great bands out there, but they don't necessarily you wouldn't hear like the beginning of a song and be like, Oh, that's them right. Just by the music, mm-hmm. you know. With Blues Traveler you don't have to have even singing and you're like, Oh, okay, that's a blues traveler song and uh you know, it's kind of, it, 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 it transcends at this point, you know, like us and Dave Matthews and yeah. Fish and Widespread. So we kind of transcend because it's, you know, 25 years, most of these bands, or 30 even for some of them, um, that, you know, we've been together. And, uh, you know, there, there are fans that were, you know, in high school when they first started seeing that, like, fraternity gate and that, and now they're, like, CEOs of their companies or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it allows you to play, like, a, a whole bunch of different kind of genres and you get some private gigs and then you play theaters and then because there's like three generations of kids out there who like music so it's you know we've, we've been able to kind of hold on to uh you know kind of each uh progressive kind of you know every four years say there's a switch in, in fandom just with college kids or whatever you know we've kind of been able to pick up our fans along the way and it's you know it's uh you know we're, we're always out there touring so <laughs> if they want to see us, they look. Oh, oh yeah, wait, they'll be here in six months. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, you got to be out there to, to to be doing it. And and we've you know been managed to hold on. So it's you know it's pretty cool. Yeah, got to be nice to have a faithful following. Um, how about here in D.C.? I mean, we interviewed um, Better Than Ezra the other week, and they said for some reason they don't know if it they just got a lot of D.C. airplay or what, but they said D.C. was like a huge uh, block of their following. How about how about for you guys? Is where, where does D.C. fall in the mix for you guys? Do you play here often? Yeah, yeah, we get through there probably every year, and if it's not like in D.C., it's just right, you know, with stones throw. Right. Um, you know, we play Annapolis almost every year, and and then you know go up in and around Maryland. Or Virginia. I mean, we're always right there. Um, DC is great. I mean, we're from the tri-state area, so um, it's you know that's just like the fertile crescent of where the band started playing. Sure. You know, colleges and all that. So we have, we hold a, a you know kind of a, a, a nice spot in our hearts for that East Coast and that whole corridor from like DC up to Boston. You know, that's kind of where the band got its roots and got started playing and we have a lot of you know family and friends in and around there so it's great for us that's awesome all right cool thanks so much for taking the time tad we really appreciate it and um you know best of luck with with the tour and we'll see you here at the fillmore awesome can't wait thanks so much yeah good talking finally i spoke to singer and harmonica player john popper at the 2017 grammys on the hill honoring keith urban at the hamilton in dc Sprumber, nice to meet you hey we need a taller tripod for you <laughs> yeah right all right we're here with john popper of blues traveler i grew up with your stuff you're the soundtrack of my life man are you kidding me <laughs> but um how big of a keith urban fan are you i mean god he he came on the scene a few years after you guys but man but but he's prim- 
been just as prolific. I mean, oh, I, his songwriting is great, and I can't wait to see him perform. You know, I, I'm very psyched. It's cool. He deserves this honor. It's pretty amazing. As a fellow musician, though, I mean, not only can he write songs, but speak to his ability to play that darn guitar, man. He can shred. Yes, he can shred. See, I, I always respect players a little more than singers, being a singer. But uh, I'm also a player, and Keith, you got the goods. You can do the harmonica, though. I don't know if he can. No, but he doesn't need to with a guitar like that. Yeah, you don't need the harmonica. Screw that. You don't need that. Exactly. Um, let's. I know you've kind of fielded a lot of these questions already, but in terms of more the more ab- advocacy side, you know, why is it important to have this event here every year? Um, and and you know, I guess you know every time there's a new administration coming in too, you don't want it to be sort of a backslide. So you know, true. you want to, you want to kind of make a case and try and get the word out as to why it's important that recording musicians have some way to make a living and be able to afford making recordings. And so this restructure kind of is, I think, the most important in that aspect. And also the reflection of producers being artists. I mean. That, that really would help the whole system. And this hasn't really been addressed since, you know, 40 years. I think it's kind of time we took another look at it. Why do you think it took so long? Um, people are used to it. I, I don't know. You know, uh, we were talking about that all day. And, you know, maybe one aspect was things were so bad before that that when they addressed it in, like, the 70s, they were like, okay, we've done it. We've improved it. But, you know, the technology, of course, 40 years ago is nothing like it is now. No one had any expectation of that. And it's odd, like, satellite radio actually does pay a royalty for performers. And um, it's only terrestrial radio that's been around that long that continues to do that. And I've found out uh, very few countries still do that. That's an interesting thing. So um, I, I think that uh, it's important to make that case every year. All right, and final question real quick. What are you performing tonight? Are you doing the National Anthem? Is yes, yeah, I think I'm starting that. Yeah. Doing that in the nation's capital, how, how does exactly. that? Exactly. See, I've done it in some interesting places, and this is definitely one of them. I'm excited. Well, we're looking forward to it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.